0: Welcome back to the Spirits Guide podcast. I am Rich, your guide to the intoxicating spirits world. And man, has this summer been a scorcher. Uh, and this week has been no different. It's been a hot one this week. You know, it's it's the middle of the summer. Typically not a lot going on in the spirits world around this time. You know, everybody's gearing up for the big fall season. But there has been some cool things that have happened in the last week. Um, Mainly for me personally, I got to do a store pick of Rittenhouse 4-Year Bottled and Bond Rye. Uh, I get to do that with my friends at Heaven Hill. And that was my 15th barrel pick that I've done. And then this week, my 16th barrel pick, I got to do a barrel-proof Old Forrester store pick. It's my first collaboration. I get to work with my friend Jason from Horseshoe Barrel Society. Uh, We did the pick together. It's going to be an amazing one, guys. Look forward to that coming up in the fall. And there is some other news and notes that I'm going to cover before we get into the body of the podcast. And really what I'm talking about this week, and it's kind of a short one because it's so hot, uh, but I'm making the case for 80 proof bourbon. You know, I went down a little bit of rabbit hole. I kind of did some research on why we're at 80 proof, how we got here, um, what we were drinking in the past. So it's a fun, fun little educational thing that, you know, Was At least it was fun for me to kind of dig in and and figure out how we get to that 80 proof point. And hopefully you guys find it interesting. And hopefully it inspires you guys to not, you know, just shun 80 proof whiskeys. There's a time and a place for them. And especially when it is this hot out, uh, you know, some 80 proof bourbon will still give you the flavor. It gives you the mixability if you want to throw it on ice or in cocktails. Um, It allows you to drink more know when it's 110 degrees out so please don't shun it you know like i always say expand your palette expand your horizons and before we get into that i'm going to talk a little bit about some other news that's been going on in the spirits world as of late and uh yeah so hopefully if you guys like what's going on here and if you're listening then obviously you do go to the podcast page if you haven't done so already click that follow button give it a five star rating Share it out on your social media. Let your friends know that if they're into the same kind of things that we're into, there's a podcast for them to listen to. Follow on Facebook and Instagram, where you guys know I'm always posting pictures of things I'm drinking, what I'm listening to, books I'm reading, whatever, all of it. Um, you can also you know, leave comments, reviews, and message me through both those platforms. And for anything else, if you've got a sample that you're curious as to my opinion of, uh, if there's something I have tasted here that you would like a sample of, and I just did up a few more samples this morning, uh, to bring in for some of you guys. And if you want to just come here, hang out, geek out about movies, music, TV, books, whatever, and drink some cool spirits. And by the way, I am still looking for a permanent co-host for this circus. You can email me at the All 89 at gmail.com. All right. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Stay cool. Stay hydrated. We'll talk to you again soon. Cheers. All right. My God, is it hot? It's hot again. Jesus. Um. Wow. Here we are tonight. Today, man, you know, as I'm recording this, which is actually... Thursday of this week, you know, the podcast will come out tomorrow, Um, just to kind of, you know, set the stage of where I was at. I had something else entirely planned for, you know, this week's episode. I was supposed to meet with a a brand rep, and I won't say the brand because I I like the product. I just don't particularly care for the rep anymore. Uh, But we were supposed to sit down, have an interview, and that was going to be this week's uh, podcast and at the last minute he kind of bailed on me and that left me to kind of squirm which is when i do my best business uh and i figured out something on the spot change gears immediately to what you know we're doing tonight which is i'm talking about 80 proof bourbon and i'll explain why as we get a little bit more into it um And, you know, I'm going to start out by doing a little comparison tasting of a couple of 80 proof bourbons here. I am pouring a little bit of Penelope, just the regular, none of their, you know, specialty one-off thingies. A little technical difficulty there. So I'm comparing Penelope bourbon, 80 proof to old crow. Now, if I was doing this just on sentimentality, this wouldn't even be a competition. Is anybody who knows me knows my love for old crow. Uh but I figured I would give Penelope another chance. You know, I bought this when it first first came out and I tried it because I heard all the hype and all the buzz and then yeah, it didn't do a lot for me. Because it was 80 proof and I was in that mindset Again, we'll we'll talk more About the 80 proof thing later on Um, But, you know, since we're going to talk Might as well drink All right, let's try this Penelope Mm. So the Penelope is a four grain And again, I'm not going to go too deep of a dive On anything we're tasting tonight Just because I did it all last minute So there wasn't I did research, I just did different kind of what I felt was more important research and I think you guys will be hopefully you'll you'll find this interesting what we're going for so yeah that Penelope 80 proof kind of light watery it's it's the embodiment of to me what everybody complains about when it comes to 80 proof bourbon old crow mm. just so much more flavor I love me some Old Crow. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I'm going to be sipping on while we we talk here. Um, I mean, the winner of those two is definitely Old Crow by, by and far. So, yeah, tonight we're going to be talking about 80 Proof Bourbon. It's sort of place on the landscape why 80 Proof Bourbon even exists, uh, which, you know, I found to be very, very interesting. But first, I mean, let's talk about the spirits world in the last week and, uh, you know, some of the things that I'm I'm going to rant about now, two kind of cool things that are kind of cool, but are also sort of rant worthy to me. Uh, Jim Beam announcing that they're investing four hundred million dollars into their Booker No Distillery, which is in Boston, Kentucky. You know, they have one in Claremont. This is the one that they have in, in Boston, Kentucky. I love the fact that they're investing in the distillery, but my question is, where is that money coming from? You know, like, is that why we're paying more for our bourbon? Is that why we're absorbing price increases? Not necessarily on the Jim Beam brand, although those prices are creeping up, but Maker's Mark, Knob Creek, um, all the other sort of Jim Beam product offerings, we're paying for as customers let alone something I'm going to talk about uh, at the end of this segment uh, that Jim Beam is involved in. So I love the fact that they're investing, you know, in their bourbon. Although I was kind of amazed to read that, you know, it's a $400 million investment in this distillery, and it's going to create 50 jobs. Uh, 50 for 400? It doesn't seem like a, a good enough ratio for that kind of money. And it's it's weird to look at those kind of figures in these times when money is so tight for everybody else and you know, the price of groceries and the price of gas and the price of goods and all that stuff is going up. And yet these big corporations have 400 fucking million dollars to invest in a distillery. I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm upset, you know, because I, you know, I love my bourbon. I love Jim beam. They're great people. It's great products. But at the same time, like where is that money coming from? And it's coming from us. Also, Brown Foreman announced that they're investing $30 million in Glendronic over in Scotland. Again, that's a brand that they revived in the last few years. Uh, It was the subject of my Tuesday night tasting this week, the Glendronic 29. And again, I love the fact that they're investing and they're trying to grow this brand. But again, where is this money coming from? It's coming from you and I. so it's it's sort of a, a good thing, bad thing for me on that. Uh, what else do we got going on in the news this week? Um, there's a, a distillery in Charlestown, South Carolina, or a company uh, they're called Grain and Barrel, and they announced this week that they are starting a brand, beginning a brand, you know, creating a brand, whatever it is, of high and tequila called Eterno Verano. Now, I don't care about the name of the brand. I don't even care that, you know, they're creating a, a high-end tequila. Although it does make me curious as to, you know, so many products out of Mexico that we can't get, whether it's Mexican beers, you know, tequila has been stock issues, whether it's Terramana, whether it's Patron, uh, you know, other... You know, tequila brands are just hard to come by, and yet there seems to be an overabundance of high-end tequila. You know, like there's no regular tequila, but yet they these new, you know, high-end elitist brands of tequila keep launching and hitting the market, but there's no regular tequila. It, it just sort of makes you wonder. Where are they getting this juice from? If everybody else is having such a hard time getting tequila, where is all this juice coming from to create these elite, high-end, over $100 bottles of tequila? Uh, I don't know. There are questions that I'm going to continue to ask people as to why this keeps happening. Uh, Other news. This one I I found really interesting. Uh, I read this report this week that Tennessee Whiskey, uh, whiskey Advocate did a whole article on them. you know, it's starting to take its place in the spotlight and it's, you know, Tennessee whiskey is growing and it's emerging. And, you know, the, the stat was it's up 6%. It's sort of a skewed stat. Now, again, I love me some Tennessee whiskey. I just, you know, did all the Nelson Greenbrier stuff. That stuff is amazing. Everybody knows how I feel about George Dickel. Chattanooga Corsair I mean these places are they're putting out amazing products but I don't see that on a sales end on the retail end for me Um, you know I'm tasting a lot of stuff but even I have a hard time converting some people into trying some of these whiskeys from Tennessee I don't know if they don't like the name Tennessee they think they have a weird taste I I don't know what it is but Tennessee whiskeys are a hard sell at you know at the ground level that i'm working on and this also brings up a point of you know all these marketing magazines i read and you know industry magazines i see the word depletion a lot you know like uh, boston beer company you know depletions are down all depletion means is that it leaves the wholesaler's warehouse and goes to my back room when they report depletions are way up that doesn't mean that sales are way up it just means that they've stuffed it all on the retailers Um, but it doesn't necessarily translate to sales. So this whole concept that Tennessee whiskey is up 6%, I did a little bit of a deeper dive in it. In the top seven brands of Tennessee whiskey, and you know, from one to two, the disparity is huge. I mean, the gap between the number one selling and the number two selling is huge. But here's the honest to God truth. Four out of the top seven brands of Tennessee whiskey are Jack Daniels. It's regular Jack Black Label. It's Gentleman Jack. It's Jack Daniels Single Barrel and Jack Daniels Rye. That isn't the category is up. That is one particular brand that happens to land in that category is up by 6%. You know, And they're also including Jack Apple, Jack Fire, Jack Honey, uh, and all that stuff. So that's four out of the seven. Here's the other three, by the way. Number two is Old Smoky, uh, which earlier my friend Kevin had actually brought me a bottle of the Tennessee bourbon that Old Smoky makes. It's called James Ownby. Really, really good. Tasty stuff. uh, Not available here in Massachusetts. But most of what the general public knows of Old Smoky is salted caramel moonshine. Uh, salted watermelon moonshine, cherry moonshine, fruit punch moonshine, old smoky moonshine pickles. So they're more known for flavored whiskey than actual, you know, bourbon or Tennessee whiskey. And that's the number two brand of Tennessee whiskey. Uh, and then Uncle Nearest and George Dickel are the other two brands. So those are the three that round out the top seven. And the disparity between you know Jack and Uncle Nearest is a is a chasm nobody could cross uh and George Dickel who had the whiskey of the year a few years ago is not even close to what Jack Daniel's is doing for sale. so it's an interesting stat that Tennessee whiskeys are up when in fact it's just one brand that's up and Jack Daniel's is the category of Tennessee whiskey uh Here's a section I, I feel like we're starting to discuss every week. Here's five whiskeys you're never gonna find. Uh every week, whiskey advocate in you know, in the emails that I read, you know, they do a sort of new whiskeys of the week. And, you know, they're sometimes it's it's a good read, and sometimes, you know, it will inspire me to go looking for things. But for the most part, they're just things I am never, ever gonna find. And a lot of times it's like, Oh, 280 bottles, distillery only. And I wonder like, well, why the fuck do you publicize that? Why do you publish that? Why do you put that out to, you know, a million readers across the globe when there's only 280 bottles available at the distillery in, you know, Tucson, Arizona? It just, I don't know why they promote something that you can't get, but that's kind of what they do. So I've learned to have fun with it. And here it is. Here's some whiskeys. We're never going to see. Uh, Balvini 16 year French Oak. I would love to try this, uh, but I can't get Balvini 12 year double wood. I can't get any Balvini right now. There's none in America, but yet they're announcing a new release of the 16 year French Oak. I'm sure it's delicious. I'm a sucker for, you know, anything French Oak as much as I'm a sucker for anything that says PX on the label. If it says French Oak, I'm usually down for that when it comes to whiskey. Uh, Glen Scotia, eight year PX barrel. Again, uh, maybe a thousand bottles in existence. Uh, Dry Fly, which is out of Washington State, uh, does their cask and release series where they partner with local breweries. And if you're going, like, what is he talking about? Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that's in Whiskey Advocate sometimes that I, I just wonder, like, who's reading this going, like, oh shit dry fly has a new whiskey. Up. So I think there's three in this cask and release series. They're all sort of brewery collaborations where they lend their whiskey barrels to a local brewery who then age a beer in the whiskey barrel and then give it back to them. And then they finish their whiskey in that, uh, Slancha 18. It's an 18 year old Irish whiskey. It's a brand that's owned by leave Schreiber. Uh, whom I love because he's Ray Donovan, you know, (laughs) leave is, is great. And Ray Donovan was the best, uh, by the way, the Ray Donovan movie. I know a lot of times these TV shows, if they don't have good endings or, you know, something feels incomplete or they just want to do a cash grab, you know, the X files did a movie. I know they did one for, uh, breaking bad. Uh, I've seen a few other ones. The Ray Donovan movie was great um the story made sense it was a great way to tie up the show uh you know the way everything ended with ray donovan and his dad Uh, if you've never seen the show it is well worth the watch uh you'll be on the edge of your seat almost every episode it's pretty pretty crazy uh but yeah leave schreiber and again sloucha 18 280 bottles in existence uh, t- 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 barrel craft spirits, you know, announcing their dovetail gray label, uh, 65.77% alcohol in that blend going for a brisk $250 MSRP, uh, Davies County, which is another whiskey that I feel doesn't get enough love, but you know, my friends from Luxco, And the whiskeys are just fantastic. For whatever reason, they just sit on the shelves. They do a Cabernet finish. They do a French oak finish. They did a limited release double oak a few years back. That was unbelievable. And the latest release in the line is a toasted barrel finish from Davies County. But we probably won't see that in Massachusetts either. Mostly because, unfortunately, nobody has bought the other bottlings. So typically... They won't send them to a state where they, you know, weren't already selling. And then the last sort of whiskey release uh, of the week, if, you know, if you've got a few dollars burning a hole in your pocket, Gordon and McPhail, which is a independent bottler. So what they do is they'll go to Macallan, They'll go to Glen Scotia. They'll go to Tullabardeen or wherever they go to distilleries. They buy barrels. They bring them back to their facilities. They age them and bottle them under their name. But they can actually put the distillery's name on that they bought them from. This is not like people buying juice from MGP. Um, Whereas Gordon and McPhail's can actually put where it comes from. And they're getting stuff from all these different distilleries. They're phenomenal products. Unfortunately, I feel like Americans don't fully understand the concept. But I'm sitting on a McAllen from 1997 that was distilled by McAllen. And then Gordon and McPhail's bought that bottle. And it's a single cask release of McAllen made in 1997 uh, that was aged for 12 years. Pretty rare item that is irreplaceable. And what they've done, they've announced that they just released a 1949 vintage 72-year-old scotch from the Milton Distillery. 180 bottles in existence. Whew. I mean, that is a lot. 72 years. You definitely could not do that in Kentucky. You know, By 25, 30 years, the barrel would probably be empty. So only in a cooler climate can you let something go for 72 years. I'm kind of impressed that they got 180 bottles out of it. What is this going to set you back? It's a cool $65,000 a bottle. You know, that's uh that's some serious fuck you money if you're spending 65 grand on a bottle of scotch. Um I know that's uh, you know, that's a, that's a down payment on a house. Uh, right there, but somebody will pony up for that. Probably a flipper, you know, they'll buy it as an investment and then try to flip it later on. My question with this and with all these really old scotches that you see released is what is your frame of reference? You know, I mean, you're talking about something that was distilled in 1949. What were the standards of cleanliness? You know, what was the machinery like? What was it like to bottle things back then? I don't even know about the quality control of things in 1949. And, and what happens to it when it ages for 72 years? Like, does it get better? Does it develop? Does it get too woody? What is your frame of reference? What do you compare it to when you taste it? And you're like, oh, that's fucking perfect. It's going to taste like nothing else you've ever tasted. You're not going to know if it's good or not. You know, you're paying all that money for history and the decanter that they put in is probably $10,000 from Waterford Crystal or some shit like that. Um, But I don't know how good the juice is and I don't know what you would compare it to anyways. Um, But if you get $65,000, you can go find out. All right. The last two pieces of news before we get into drinking some whiskey are going to fall under this shit is going too far category. First, I don't even know which one of these two just disasters to, to dive into, but I guess we'll go top of the list. Twisted tea, sweet tea whiskey. Take that in. Twisted tea, sweet tea whiskey. If you're thinking like, is that a new brand? No. Go to your package store, go back to the cooler right next to the Angry Orchard Made by Sam Adams, Boston Beer Company, Twisted Tea, Hard Tea. This comes on the heels of Boston Beer Company and Beam Suntory getting into this partnership where they're making products for each other. You know, Boston Beer Company is making the Sousa RTDs because Jim Beam owns Sousa. Now, Jim Beam is making Truly Vodka, Boston Beer Company owns the truly name. By the way, the packaging on that is terrible. The local distributor who is handling that product has totally botched the whole release of it. Uh, I did see a bottle of it out in the wild over the weekend last weekend. It looks terrible. It looks cheap and trashy. Uh, it looks like something that 20 years ago, you know, college kids would have flocked to at $10 a handle, but nothing that should ever be taken seriously. And it's a product that just, to me, blows my mind because brands like Truly and White Claw and even High Noon, what they did was they absolutely killed the flavored vodka category because instead of buying flavored vodka in some soda water, you could just buy flavored seltzers and flavored vodka is just on a steady decline. So brands like Truly, who killed the category of flavored vodka, now have the fucking brains Go, we should get in the flavored vodka category. Makes no sense. They're entering a category that they killed. Now, why they decided to do twisted tea as a whiskey, beyond me. Now, when I tried to look up some some you know specs on it, I don't know what the base whiskey is. You know, it's I'm pretty sure it's produced by Jim Beam. It's priced what we call line priced, so it's in line with Jim Beam and Apple and Red Stag and Jim Beam honey and the flavored Jim Beam. So it's priced the same way. This is a 65 proof flavored whiskey, which is sweet tea flavored. Like, is that really a flavor here in the Northeast? I don't know. And I don't know what you do with a sweet tea flavored whiskey other than maybe mix it with lemonade. And they're launching it, I think, next week. And in three weeks, who is drinking lemonade anymore? I don't understand it. The package, again, looks cheap and trashy. It kind of looks like the regular Twisted Tea, you know, yellow background, blue lettering. It just looks awful. Uh, I don't know where it would go on the shelf because it's a standalone product. At least the Jack flavors and the gym flavors can go next to the gym and you've got enough there to create a brand. But. One facing of sweet tea whiskey, uh, it just, it looks awful. Uh, And to me, shit has gone too far. Then the other one that has gone too far that I read about today, Snoop Dogg. I mean, bless this guy. He has got his face all over everything. And, you know, he's got his 19 crimes, Cali Red, which is a beast of a wine. We sell a ton of it. You know, Snoop had his Cali Rosé, which uh, I I have no words for that. And now 19 Crimes is coming out with Cali Gold. It's a sparkling white California wine. So kind of like a, a champagne-ish kind of thing, a uh, uh, bubbles from California for Snoop. It, it's gone too far. You know, uh... I have nothing but respect for, for Snoop, and hell, he's a cool character. But lest we not forget, like, this guy was a drug dealer. He was up on a murder charge. You know, he carried guns. Like, And now he's a pop culture icon. First of all, it just sends a weird message about, you know, how to become successful that I feel like, I feel like there's a segment of young kids out there who are – you know, dealing drugs on, you know, like one day I'm going to be Jay-Z and I'm going to be Snoop and I'm going to, you know, rise to the top. And that's great. If you can do that and then you turn your life around and you get absolutely clean. Uh, but, you know, there's also better paths to the top that you don't have to take the risk of potentially getting killed uh, to try to become a pop culture icon. And I just, again, I go back to this whole thing of like, We keep, you know, wine prices are going up and there's not a lot of juice out there. And it's going to be hard to get wine from these areas. And yet, celebrity brands keep popping up. There's so much sparkling wine out there that they went back and was like, hey, Snoop, do you want to put your name on something else? Because we've got all this extra stuff. Please, I get tired of hearing like there's a shortage, there's a supply chain issue, but yet we keep launching these just one-off products and we keep flooding the market with them yet we can't get the regular stuff you know that was already on the shelf i don't know snoop kelly gold sparkling white wine from california i think this stuff is going too far all right i am roasting back here i'm gonna take a quick break go fill my water bottle get my five 80 proof bourbons together and we're going to get ready to drink some bourbon. So I'll be back in a minute, guys. Whew. All right, here we are. We're back. Uh, I took a little, little walk up to the porch, cool off a little bit, but now I am back in the, uh, in the, oven of a studio man it is you know i went outside today and i was like jesus i feel like a vampire like i walked out into the sun and i could feel my skin burning (laughs) immediately it was wild um you know and i was hoping as it got a little darker it would cool down but it's man it's just not um I don't know how this slipped my mind, but, you know, maybe the most important thing that happened in the spirits world in the past week before we get into tasting these whiskeys is I get to do a barrel pick of Old Forester at Barrel Proof with my great friend Jay from the Horseshoe Barrel Society. This is a collaborative project between Horseshoe Barrel Society, Wachusett Wine and Spirits, the Spirits Guide kind of all in it together uh, man it was a tough choice you know I had the pictures up on Instagram Horseshoe has the pictures up on their Instagram I had the pictures up on the Wachusett Wine and Spirits Facebook page it was you know it was a difficult choice but man what a great night it turned out to be you know we started out doing this barrel pick and you know Corey was there and, you know, I had Corey consulting with me and, you know, Corey picked one and I picked one and Jay picked one and we all picked the same one. So it's always great when unanimously everybody involved in the pick agrees that this is the barrel. And then after that, we hung around, we celebrated, we tasted, you know, the, the Pierre Ferrand cognac that I posted up on Instagram last night. We tasted through a whole bunch of beers. We were joined by my friend Glenn Peter Thomas was there, uh, beer manager, Matt, and we just all sat around just kind of enjoying and laughing and telling stories. And it was one of the most pure moments I've had in a long time, you know, with great people in this sort of spirits world. And, and again, it's what it was all about for me to just have all of us together you know, no filters, no pretending to be anything you're not. Just people having open, free conversation, tasting, sharing opinions. So much fun. Um, and yeah, if you're interested in getting one of those bottles of the old Forrester Barrel Proof store pick that Jay and I picked, Horseshoe Barrel Society, Wachusett Wine and Spirits, the spirits guy, email me, rich at wachusettliquors.com. Uh, there is a two bottle limit. Oh, or you can email me at the spirit guide 89 at gmail.com or you could message me on Instagram on Facebook any of those uh, forums and here's the kicker for every bottle you buy of the old Forester store pick your name is going to go into a hat and I'm going to hold a drawing for a chance to buy a bottle of Old Forester birthday bourbon when it comes in later on this fall. So not only are you getting a bottle of Old Forester barrel-proof, you're getting a chance to get a bottle of Old Forester birthday bourbon. How great is that? I, I'm so excited to be a part of this. I can't wait to have that bottle in my hand, but such, such a good time. I would have been remiss if I didn't. Mention that here. All right. So like I said, I was supposed to interview somebody from a big Irish whiskey brand and they kind of flaked out on me at the last minute and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And this was at 4:30, you know, and I'm recording this right now at nine o'clock. So literally like four and a half hours ago, all my plans for this episode changed. And I walked outside and I didn't know what I was going to do. And then I felt my skin <laughs> like a goddamn vampire. I was like, man, it's way too hot to drink 100-proof bourbon today. And then it hit me. Low-proof bourbon. And then I got really focused and I wanted to do 80-proof bourbon. Not 84, not 86, not even 81. Straight 80-proof 80 bourbon. Because that is the minimum that you can bottle bourbon at. It's the lowest-proof that you can put bourbon on the shelf and still call it bourbon at 80 proof. So then I started to do a little dive to kind of figure out like, where did this concept come from? Why is 80 proof kind of the agreed upon minimum? And, uh, oh man, something else I forget too, that happened that's really, really big this week. And I'll just go over it really, really quickly. Uh, American mall is getting recognized as an official classification. And, I mean, it's great. My friend Amanda down at Virginia Distillery, and, you know, there's so many great, we've talked about American single malts. Uh, But any of you out there, and I know, like, Peter Thomas, who kind of gets in these rabbit holes and reads all about this stuff, you know, when they're putting together the the guidelines, here's one of the things that kind of threw me. So it's going to be an official designation bottled at a minimum of 80 proof, Uh, aged in barrels that are no bigger than 700 liters. You can distill to 160 proof. So pretty standard for American whiskey. And here's the weird thing. Color, flavor, and blending materials are permitted. Color, flavor, and blending materials are permitted. And I read that and I said, well, color, caramel coloring, I get it. You want consistency in the color. You know, Scotch does it. Irish whiskey does it. That's fine. Flavor. I mean, Canadian whiskey does that, and you can still call it. Uh, I don't, I, I, I at least understand what that means. Blending materials. The fuck is that? So, I immediately got on my computer and sent an email to my friend Amanda Beckwith down at Virginia Distillery. Congratulate her on the designation. And I said, hey, I got a question. I love the fact that you guys get your designation finally. What are blending materials? And she said, Yeah. She emailed me back within a half an hour because she's amazing and she's a rock star. She says, No, we're very excited. We love it. We were a little disappointed that that verbiage was put in. And to be honest with you, I have no idea what blending materials means. So I'm hoping that comes out of the final guidelines. It's a weird one. Um, But blending materials, if any of you guys out there know what this is, and again, I talked to Amanda Beckwith, who is the master blender at one of the best American single malt distilleries, she had no idea what that meant, but if you guys do, please shoot me an email, leave a comment, let me know what you find out, I'm sure somebody out there is going to go down a rabbit hole and let me know. So, back to my 80 proof bourbon because it's 110 degrees out and it's too hot out for big, heavy, high proof bourbons. First of all, the high proof is going to dehydrate you, which you're already doing in this heat anyways. You're probably already a little dizzy from the heat, so you really don't want all that intoxicating alcohol. Anyways, but I wanted to know where this came from. And here's what I came up with. 80 proof whiskeys are something that really only came about In kind of the last 50 years, um, pre prohibition, you know, the typical barrel entry proof, which right now is 125, that you can go to, you can distill to 160 for bourbon, but you have to dilute it down to 125 at the max before you go into barrel for aging. But a typical barrel entry proof pre prohibition, was a hundred. So when you get those. You know proof fluctuations. During the aging process. Things that would go down. You know 95 is when the proof would be lower. 105 is when the proof would get higher. Um, so typically people pre prohibition. With drinking whiskey. 95 to 105 proof. In 1897. The bottled and bond act. Comes into play. And that sets the standard. For bonded whiskey being bottled at 100 proof exactly. And that was the standard right up until we hit Prohibition, really. And during Prohibition, you know, nobody was making bourbon, obviously. And the bourbon that they had in these stocks, you know, you're talking about bootleggers. You're talking about criminals. These are not like up and up people. So they might have had a barrel of whiskey that was 105 proof. But by the time they were done with it, they had two barrels that were 60 proof, you know, and they were cutting it with, you know, we've talked about this of, you know, tobacco spit and petrol and and all kinds of other stuff to give it color. But they were taking that 105. So basically the point is, is that people who were getting a lot of the whiskey during prohibition were getting lower proof whiskey. Our taste started to acclimate to that. We also started to get a lot of scotch whiskey over here especially coming out of prohibition because we kind of went through all the age stock during prohibition and you know, prohibition lasts what 13 years when you come out, there's no aged whiskey. So people were rushing stuff to market at lower proof and thinning it out. But at that point we started importing scotch into the U S and scotch was coming into the U S at around 80 proof, mostly for taxation purposes, because the higher the alcohol is the bigger the tax was And so it was just sort of a financial thing for Scotland to proof things down to 80 proof for export reasons. So, you know, we start to develop between the watered down prohibition whiskey and then scotch. So you've got lighter styles of whiskey. You got to figure that's going from 1930 to maybe 1950, 1960 before there's any actual like real stocks. And at that point, Scotch whiskey had a big stronghold in this country. So, you know, culturally, we got used to that sort of lower proof, lighter spirit. Now we get into, you know, the 60s, 70s and 80s. Nobody wanted bourbon anymore. And they were starting to switch to vodkas, gins, white rums. And so all these distilleries were starting to put out lower proof bourbons you know and at one point they were 86 they started cutting them down to 80 to compete with things like vodka and gin and rum and the reality of it is is at that point in time everything was mixed drinks nobody was drinking straight whiskey anymore they were drinking you know whiskey and coke whiskey and seven up whiskey and ginger ale and you know when you're mixing you know, Jack and Coke or Jack and Ginger, you don't know the difference if it's 86 or 80 proof. So one, they were going after that lighter style. And two, yeah, by diluting it down to 80 proof, you could actually get more whiskey out of the yield. You'd have more product to sell. You increase profits. So it was sort of a twofold thing of the American palate. That's what they wanted. And from a business perspective, you know, they kept raising what you could distill to. They kept raising what you could enter the barrel at, and then you could go out at 80 proof. So all these things helped distilleries to have more product. And again, if you're mixing Jack and Coke, can you really tell the difference between 90 proof Jack and Coke and 80 proof Jack and Coke? No. As long as you can taste the Jack, you don't really have a concept of the alcohol content. Now, Julian Van Winkle was one of the guys who just adamantly refused to lower the proof of his whiskey. Uh, He believed it was perfect at a higher proof point and kind of stayed that way. But really by the eighties, this is where we're at with, you know, 80 proof whiskey. And I think that's why sometimes, you, you see people who are going after these dusties because they were higher proof. They were lower barrel entry proof. So you got to figure if you're going into the barrel at a hundred proof and you're coming out of the barrel at 95 to one Oh five, like that's just pure concentrated distillate, totally different flavor profile. I understand now why people kind of go after dusties. Now I'm just kind of making the argument in the case that 80 proof bourbon does have its place. And there is some science involved here. Um, One scientifically higher alcohol actually dulls your palate. You know, that burn of the ethanol on your palate will mask a lot of flavors. In fact, if you talk to a lot of whiskey experts, like actual experts, people who work in the distillery, you know, the distillers, the blenders, they proof things down to like 70 proof because when the whiskey is at a higher proof, it masks a lot of the base flaws in the distillate. When you proof it down lower, you can find what's wrong with the actual distillate. When things are out of whack, if something's chemically off, you can hide that with a higher proof point. You know, in from all the not all the research but my quick internet research you know realizing like a lot of the old guard in kentucky they don't drink barrel proof bourbon they drink it on ice they drink it with water they kind of proof it down and really the original initial concept of issuing higher proof bourbons was that you could proof them down to the proof point you wanted uh, I found this quote here from Nicole Austin at Cascade Hollow, or George Nickel, um that is, it is not necessarily intended to be drunk at high proof. That's what she said about barrel-proof whiskeys. Here's another piece of science. You know, basically, whiskey is all about molecules, and there are alcohol molecules, and there are congeners, flavor molecules. And here's the the science of it. When the alcohol, you know, flavor molecules want to rise to the top and they want to bond with the alcohol. And when the alcohol is lower, more of the flavor congeners can bond to the alcohol and they tend to sit up towards the air. So with a lower proof, you can actually smell the whiskey a lot better. When it's a higher proof, then the flavor congeners tend to go down and the alcohol will sit on sort of the the top of of the whiskey and the top of your glass by themselves which is why when you smell barrel proof you tend to get that big ethanol nose right off the top because the alcohol is sitting right on the surface while the flavor congeners are sitting below that is just science i'm not saying that you know one is better than the other. I'm saying that there's a time and a place for every proof point. And again, the, there's nothing wrong with 80 proof bourbon if the flavor is there. And I know a lot of people think, like, oh, 80 proof, it's watery, it's light, it has no body. In some cases, that's true. But do we know it was supposed to have more body than that? You know, as long as it tastes good and it feels right in your mouth and And for me on a night like tonight, when it's hot out, I still want to taste bourbon. I don't want to drink 110 proof bourbon. I'm going to have a headache. I'm going to be dehydrated. I'm going to get a buzz and I'm going to get dizzy from the heat. It's not a good combination. So 80 proof bourbon, I can probably have four or five of these. Enjoy the night. Go watch a movie or something. And be okay. So what I did was I picked out five 80 proof bourbons to taste. I'm going to taste them really quickly. I'm not going to do any deep dives, no mash bills, none of that stuff. Uh, And after I taste them, I will decide which one I think is the best for the buck at 80 proof. Um, I'm going to start out and I've got some, some little 50 milliliter sample bottles here. Uh, because nips can be more than just fireball to drink in the parking lot and throw on the ground. And by the way, people, if you're buying fireball nips, all the power to you. Hey, it's what keeps my business afloat. But if you're going to do it, clean up your fucking trash. Stop throwing your goddamn nips on the ground everywhere because you know what the state of Massachusetts is contemplating right now. The bill is in the government. Getting ready to be passed, they're trying to put a ban on 50 ml bottlings, nips. They're trying to ban nips in the state of Massachusetts. has nothing to do with health concerns. It has to do with the fact that people throw them all over the ground and just litter up everything. I got no problem. Buy your Fireball. Drink it up. Enjoy it. Stop throwing it on the ground. You're ruining it for everybody else. All right, so the first 80-proof nip, And I was actually surprised uh, when I was putting this together. Evan Williams' Black Label is not 80-proof. It's 86. Kudos. Great whiskey, great price. And it's 86, not 80. The first one, this is a legend. This is the number one selling whiskey in the world. It's Jack Daniels. And again, you know, it's summertime. Maybe we're not drinking straight whiskey. Maybe we're out playing cornhole. Jack and Cokes, Jack and Diet Cokes, Jack and Ginger—great cocktail, refreshing over ice, lot of flavor. Can drink a bunch of them. Man, you, you people go like, "Oh, Jack is is cheap or whatever." Like, it's the number one selling whiskey in the world for a reason, because plenty of people like it, and not for nothing, it was Sinatra's drink of choice, and that you know gives it a lifetime pass for me. Soft, sweet, got that great banana flavor profile Goes down easy, no burn, ton of flavor I feel like so many people overlook Jack You know, and I know a lot of people did until the last few years When, you know, the Jack 10 came out The Eric Church bottling came out Single barrel, barrel proof rye came out And now this year, the bonded whiskeys came out. And people are realizing, like, oh, shit. Like, Jack really does some good stuff. That is delicious. You know, I don't know why I don't drink more Jack. It's a great 80-proof sipper. All right. Next one. Stepping up to Benchmark. Now, Benchmark is from Buffalo Trace. It's the same mash bill as Buffalo Trace. It's just an 80-proof younger version of Buffalo Trace. It's the same mash bill as Eagle Rare. Uh, I forget the price of Jack, uh, but everybody knows the price of Jack. Benchmark, depending on where you get it, if you go to, like, Total Wine, I think you can get it for, like, 10 bucks at $7.50. Uh, I think I'm at 12 bucks on my shelf. Available in 50 mLs. 750s and 1.75s. And they've yet to come up here to Massachusetts, but Benchmark has a whole bunch of one-offs, a bonded a a single barrel, a barrel proof. You know, again, it's 80 proof bourbon, so like I'm not looking for exciting nuances, I'm not looking for it to, you know, blow my hat off. I'm looking for it to smell, look and taste like whiskey, like bourbon. All right, here we go. Mm. That just tastes like like a butterscotch lifesaver. Butterscotch caramel. That is again delicious. Goes down easy. Uh, I hate the term smooth, but Again, really, really easy to drink. You know, one of one of the drinks that I love. And my my friend David. David, if you're out there, uh, congratulations on your recent wedding. Uh, you guys are awesome together. So happy for you. Uh but when David and I would hang out, his drink of choice was Jim Beam and Lemonade. Beam and lemonade. And that's what we're on to next. Jim Beam white label. Again, under 20 bucks for a 750, 80 proof. Jim Beam is the number one selling bourbon in the world. So for anybody out there who thinks Jim Beam, not quality, get over it. You know, if, I mean, Jim, I mean, Jim Beam Black is just one of the most grossly overlooked and underrated whiskeys there is, but Jim Beam White Label, which I was surprised because I like this. I never realized it was 80 proof. And you guys notice how I'm just tearing through these tastings because they're 80 proof. They go down easy. That's the joy of it. That as hot as it is, I'm not feeling the burn. My body's not warming up from drinking this. Now, if it was, you know, two degrees out, I'd want 110 proof bourbon to warm me up on the inside. I just want to taste the bourbon, enjoy it, and be able to have a couple. (sighs) Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. If I didn't read that that was 80 proof, I wouldn't believe it. I think that was a 86, maybe even 90, like a light 90. Again, available in 50 ml. It's got some nice oak presence for an 80 proofer. You know, it's got some good vanilla, some good spice notes. Yeah. Absolute winner. And again, it's the number one selling bourbon in the world for a reason. All right, next one. This is one that I've kind of shit on a lot, and I'm going to revisit because I haven't had it in a while. But another 80-proofer. This is kind of a little pretentious bottling, but for whatever reason, we sell a ton of it. People love it. Basil Hayden, who, if you don't know, Basil Hayden is old granddad. The guy who started Basil Hayden. His grandfather was Basil Hayden, and his grandfather was old granddad. So Basil Hayden is one of the only guys who has two whiskeys named after him. Kind of cool. Now, this is the one that people either love or they just kind of ramble that it's 80 proof and it's too watery. By the way, if you follow on my Facebook page, I posted an article today from the Whiskey Wash, which is a great website. You should check it out. Uh, But the article was called You Might Be a Proof Whore If. And it just put a lot of great perspective on if you're chasing higher proofs and, you know, sort of the difference between high proof and low proof. It was a fun read. It's up there on the, uh, the Spirit Guide Facebook page. All right. Basil Hayden. Going down the hatch. not bad my issue with basil hayden you know benchmark 12 bucks a bottle jack is a little bit more expensive but it's a you know it's a name uh jim beam white label under 20 basil hayden like over 30 for 80 proof bourbon that i don't get that's my that's my issue with it is it's too expensive For what it is. I have no problem with 80 proof. By the way. Some of my honorable mentions. Regular Henry McKenna. uh, Old Crow again. That I tasted in the beginning of the show. Love it. Some some great great stuff there. But I can get a handle of Old Crow. For less than what I'm paying for. A 750 of Basil Hayden. And I'm just paying that for. Sort of the pretentiousness of Basil Hayden. It's good. I just think it's not really worth the money. But when I get done and I do my rating, I'm going to rate them strictly on flavor. And then the last one. Maybe my favorite 80-proof bourbon. Four Roses Yellow Label. You know, Four Roses, great story. Uh, you know, Jim Rutledge. Ten Mash Bills. You know, the, the small batch, the single barrel, the small batch select, which is just unbelievable. But this is their base model. Uh, and this shows to me. Well, we'll taste it and then I'll say it. Mm. Soft, sweet, spicy, great body to it. You wouldn't know it was 80. Like anytime I I sort of see like, Oh, 80 proof for roses. I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah, that's right. It is only 80 proof. (sighs) I think I paid like 22 bucks for this. So it's more expensive than benchmark. It's a couple dollars more than Jim beam. It's a lot less than Basil Hayden. And it's my favorite out of the five without a doubt. Um, yeah, Four Roses Yellow Label, to me, is the best out of this bunch. It's affordable. You know, it tastes great. You wouldn't know. I I wouldn't be surprised if there's some of you out here going, like, Four Roses is really only 80 proof? Holy shit. Uh, you can get it in a handle. So it's just, it's a great value. That's the best out of the five to me. Yeah, that's what I'm going to be drinking for the rest of the night uh when i go out on the porch after i leave this roasting uh studio <sighs> all right i am going to wrap it from there thank you guys for indulging me on this journey as always uh i appreciate you all for being there uh thank you guys who were there the other night doing the old forest barrel pick that was awesome as well um as always if you like what we're doing here Go to the podcast page, click that follow button, give it a five-star rating, share it out on your social media uh, so that people who are into the same kind of stuff that we are into know that there's a podcast out there for them. Um, Follow on Facebook and Instagram where you can leave comments and reviews. And for everything else, you can email me at thespiritguide89 at gmail.com. And really quickly before I go, remember, if you want to reserve a bottle or two of Old Forester Single Barrel Barrel Proof, Picked by myself, the Spirit Guide, and Jay from the Horseshoe Barrel Society. Message me on any one of those platforms or rich at, at All right, guys. Stay cool out there. I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Cheers. Yay!